Thanks for joining us today. We'd love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So please take a minute and visit NBCOcala.com slash stories to tell us your story. And if God has used this ministry to touch your life in any way, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. Help us to continue delivering God's word to the world. You can give online or through our mobile giving app. Today we are hearing a message from our series entitled, When Life Gives You Lemons. This series will teach you to trust God's guidance in your life, no matter what may happen along the way. Help me welcome our online audience. So glad that you could join us. Happy Thanksgiving. Merry Christmas. It's going to be a good one. Well, how are y'all doing? It's good to be with you today. Uh, If you're joining us for the first time, my name's Lee Gilligan. I'm one of the pastors here at Meadowbrook. And um, as always, it's an honor to be able to fill in. As you can see, I'm not Pastor Tim, and as many of you have probably heard by now, uh, Pastor Tim, dad, he had a pretty serious accident earlier this week and sustained some injuries, but he's okay. And uh, bear with me for a second, because I'll, I'll give you guys full context and an update here in a moment. But last week, we kicked off this new series called uh, When Life Gives You Lemons, right? And how does the saying go? When life gives you lemons, you... You make lemonade. Yeah, that's a, kind of the world's cutesy way of saying when, when hardship comes, when the unexpected comes, where's the silver lining? Do we look at the glass half full? Uh, how do we make the best out, out, out of a bad situation? But as believers, we have to realize that there's going to be unexpected things that come our way. There's going to be hardship, trial, adversity. And, and when those things happen, when life gives us lemons, what is to be our response? So uh, last week, you know, Dad, he opened, he talked about how crucial our perspective is in those situations. And so, um, you know, I left l- last week kind of encouraged. I was driving home. My, my wife and kids didn't come to church because our little girl had a, she had double ear infection. And, and, you know, it's never fun watching your kids sick. Uh, but I was driving home. I was like, even though my little girl's sick, all things considered, I have a lot to be grateful for. There's no, no, no major lemons in my life. And I was on the way home and I, I swung through a drive through and I got a salad and I was approaching this intersection, and as I started to break, when the light turned red, my salad goes sliding. And so I look down to save my salad. Well, in the process, I nail the car in front of me. There's lettuce all over. It really wasn't worth it. I could have let the salad slide. But thankfully, no one was hurt. Uh, my car wasn't messed up. His damage was minimal. But still, it's, you know, it's that whole process of having to sort out the insurance, I was at fault, so my insurance is paying out. And I was like, okay, just as I'm, I'm driving here, thanking God I don't have any lemons, there's a lemon. <laughs> but still, life's good. I get home that night. Gavin, my, my son, he spikes a fever. And, and, and so the next morning, we take him to the doctor. He's got strep throat, and he's got an ear infection. I was like, all right, life's giving me some lemons. But all things considered, we, I have so much to be grateful for. It could be, there could be so many other things I, I could worry about, but, but God is good. And so Tuesday rolls around, and uh, I, I get home from work. Uh, I'm in the garage looking for, through some Christmas decorations, and, and my wife comes out. She has my phone, and she says, hey, you have a missed call from your dad, and you have a missed call from your sister. I said, did they leave a message? She said, no. And she hands me the phone, and right as she hands it to me, um, I get a text that says, 911, come now, from my dad. And I'm like, What? Well, 20 minutes prior to that, my mom had been sending the family pictures of my dad up on the roof putting up Christmas lights. And so in that moment, I kind of get this sinking feeling. And before I even called back, I said, I I think my dad fell off the roof. So I call back. 
My mom answers the phone. She is talking a million miles an hour. She's talking super loud. I'm like, slow down. What, what's going on? She said, Lee, your dad has fallen off the roof. She said, his arm is badly messed up. He hurt his back. She says, I don't know. Uh, she's like, he's coherent. He's talking. She's like, but he's in excruciating pain. She said, you need to come now. She said, the am- ambulance is on the way. If they get here before you do, uh, I'll tell you which hospital to go to. She's like, but for right now, come to the house. So I don't even think I said anything to Katie. It's that, it's that moment where you don't really even know what's going on. Heart's beating out of your chest. You, you, you can't catch your breath. I get in the car. I'm, I'm praying a million miles an hour. I, I also felt like I was driving a million miles an hour because <laughs> they live like 10 minutes from us. And I felt like I got there in like three minutes. So I get there. And, and the front door is hanging wide open. There's an ambulance out front. I run around back. Uh, to, it, was, it was back by our pool where he fell. And, uh, you know, my family's just kind of pacing. My mom's kind of scattered. There's four EMTs attending to him. Neighbors were over. Pastor John and Jen were there. And it was just, it was, it was chaotic. So right away I, I go and, you know, where's my dad? I look, he's on the paint, or he's on the, on the floor. And they're putting him on a, like a bodyboard, strapping him down. And, and I, right away I was like, I could tell his arm was messed up. But it was just, it was this gross feeling almost when you, when you see someone in pain. You know, I've never, I've never seen my dad in pain. I've seen him get hurt. But usually he's the one in situations that's always encouraging us. He's the superhero. He's the one building us up and helping us. And, and so when the tables are turned like that, and I see him on the ground, just, and, I, and I'm powerless to, to do anything, uh, it, it, was, it was pretty tough. And so we, we're, we're kind of just, you're in panic mode. You're praying. What do you do? And so they rushed him um, by lights and sirens to the trauma unit at ORMC. And just to kind of describe to you, he was done uh, putting up the lights. He, he was actually cleaning out the gutters, overachiever. <laughs> He's cleaning out the gutters, and he was looking up, and he, he got to a point. There was no more place to walk. He lost his footing. He, he fell off. And right where he fell, there, there's pavement down there. If he had been on the front of the house, there's bushes and grass and stuff, but there's pavement amazingly, he somehow landed on his heels. But the impact of that is, that's, you'll, you, when I explain the injuries in a minute, you'll, you'll get it. So he, he landed on his heels, but then he fell back. So they rushed him to the hospital. There's a few hours there where we're just waiting. We, we're not allowed to see him. We don't know the extent of his injuries. Finally, we get to see him, and uh, he basically, he, he shattered. He's a lefty, and so he shattered the radius in his left hand in four places. His wrist was essentially, like, disconnected from his hand. Um, he, he suffered a, 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 what do you call it, compression fracture to his L1 vertebrae. And uh, thankfully, it was not worse than that. He, he did not have to have surgery on that. He's been fitted for a custom brace. He did undergo surgery for the arm. He's going to have about six weeks or so of, uh, of recovery and, and some physical therapy. But beyond that, just some scrapes and some scraps, um, you know, it could have been a lot worse. And we are, we are grateful, you know, that, that it was not worse. Uh, he is actually at home. Uh, it's amazing because, yeah. At one point, they didn't know the extent of his back injury, and so they were thinking surgery. They were thinking eight weeks laid out on his back before he could even do anything, before he could even start therapy. So to just be in a brace and have six weeks of therapy, that, or six weeks of recovery, that's amazing. I want to show you some pictures. This first one here. That was the night of, and that was in the ER. We didn't know exactly the extent of his injuries, and that was my mom just kind of talking to him in um, just kind of a humbling moment there. And then this next picture shows you the contrast. This is four days later. That was yesterday afternoon. He's walking in the hall with her, and uh, he actually went home yesterday. Uh, Gavin saw that thing he's wearing. He said, 
uh, people, you look like a ninja turtle. Actually, one funny thing Gavin said, the kids were very upset by this because they love people and they don't quite understand what was going on. Cora was just kind of like, you know, she didn't comprehend. But Gavin, we were sitting there and we were all talking about dad's injuries. And, and Gavin, he goes, excuse me, everybody. The things that you're talking about are making my eyes water. <laughs> Uh, but anyways, we, we're, we're very grateful. You know, there comes a time in all of our lives where we have to decide if we really believe what we say we believe. Uh, my, for my dad, our pastor, there comes a time where he had to decide if he really believed the things that he spends his life teaching us to believe. Proverbs 24.10 says that if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. The message translation says if you fall to pieces in a crisis, there wasn't much to you in the first place. And I can honestly say this last week, our family, my dad, we found out what we were made of. We found out we believe what we say we believe. It was the promises of God. It was the truths that our dad has taught us for so many years. Those were the things that we stood on. Those were the things that we prayed out over the situation. Those were the things we used to encourage one another. And uh, we, we we're just grateful for the truths of God's word, that he's not just a promise maker, but he's a promise keeper. Amen. And, uh, you know, dad lay in there in excruciating pain. It was funny to me. One of the biggest concerns he had was realizing he's not going to be able to preach for a few weeks. <laughs> he's laying there realizing he's not going to see you guys. He's not going to get to teach. He was mad that, you know, when, when he got hurt, they, they, they cut your clothes off you. And they cut off his day-by-day band. I said, dad, I think we can get you another day-by-day band. When I arrived at the house, he, his eyes were closed. He's just laying there in, in pain, and he heard my voice. He said, is that Lebo? I said, yes, sir, I'm here. And he goes, you're on, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so I hope you guys like me because we're going to be spending the next month together, all right? But the, the, the biggest thing, a lot of people have asked, what, what can we do for the family? What does, what does he need? What, is there anything we can do? And so I would say three things on behalf of him that you could do uh, to help out. The first thing is your prayers. Uh, we have felt your prayers this week. We've been encouraged by the outpouring of love from our family. And we continue to covet those prayers that you would cover his physical, uh, physical healing. And then also grace for my mom as she directly walks through this healing process with him. Secondly, uh, that you would stay in church. <laughs> I know it's easy when pastor's gone to say, I'll watch online or, uh, you, you know, we won't go this week. Pastor's not there. But I know as, as your pastor, he desires nothing more that you guys would stay in church and that you would continue to get fed. Because, you know, the church isn't about a person. Church isn't about a place. You know, one day Pastor Tim will be gone. I'll be gone, you know. But Meadowbrook Church will still be here. The, the church of Jesus Christ will still be alive and well. And amen. The kingdom of God is advancing, and there's something that he wants to do in each and every one of our lives. And so I know Pastor would, would love for you all to stay in church while he's healing. And then lastly, uh, that you guys would apply the truths of God's word. As I just shared, you know, it was the truths of God's word that has carried us through this week and will continue to carry us through. And, and, and I think, you know, our mission statement says that we exist to help people find peace on earth, transforming lives through the gospel of Christ. Well, guess what? Transformation does not happen without application. Okay, it's one thing to sit and listen to a message, but it's a whole other thing when you walk out into your day-to-day -day life and you apply those things to your life. That application is what yields transformation. That application is what brings about the fruit in your life. So keep us in your prayers, stay in church, and apply the truth. That's how you can help your pastor. Amen? Well, we're going to get moving with what I feel God has put on my heart. Someone asked me, they said, are you going to continue with the When Life Gives You Lemon series? I said, listen, uh, 
every time that I get up to teach, I'm always looking for a real-life experience that I can apply to the subject matter to kind of help illustrate it. Our family got handed a pretty big lemon this week, so I think I'm just going to roll on with this series, all right? So we will, we will do part two today. We'll wrap it up next week, and then the week after that, two weeks from now, is our Christmas services, our Christmas production, and uh, we're just excited about the month of December and what that holds. But for today, we're going to continue with When Life Gives You Lemons. Last week, uh, Pastor talked about perspective, how important that is. This week, I want to talk to you about the path, the path. When life gives you lemons, the path that you are to take following that. Go with me to John sixteen thirty three. This is a key verse for this series. It says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That's Jesus talking. And you notice he doesn't, he, he prophesies there. He, he says there will be tribulation. There will be trial. There will be hardship. There will be things you have to go through. He's not disguising that. He's not, you know, trying to make light of that. He's letting us know in the world those things are going to happen. But there's not a period there. You notice it's bookended by good news. The first thing he says, he says, In me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So essentially what's happening is Jesus is granting his followers a guarantee. He's granting us a promise that even though he's leaving to go be with his father, he leaves us the spirit. And the ongoing work of the spirit in our lives is to give us a life of peace. So that's good news because no matter what comes your way, no matter what lemons you're dealt, you can have a life of peace. And so with that said, this is what what I think we need to realize is that a trial is not a dead end. A trial is an opportunity. A trial is not a dead end. It's an opportunity. So often what happens in life is we, we, we run into hardship. Maybe, maybe it's divorce. Maybe it's bankruptcy. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe it's a bad medical diagnosis. Maybe it's the, the death of a loved one. It could be anything. Something you've gone through, you're going through, will go through. And, and if we just react in fear, a lot of times what we do is we just kind of accept that reality. It's like we hit that wall. It's like a dead end. And we're kind of like, oh, I guess it's just what life is now. And I'm here to tell you today that that's not how, it doesn't have to be that way. It's not a dead end. You haven't hit a wall. You're just kind of like, there's kind of a course correction that's going to happen. But you can still have a life, life of peace. You have an opportunity to walk out a better path. My, my, my son Gavin, we took him to the dentist a few weeks back. And he, uh, it was not a surprise to us that he had a mouthful of cavities. <laughs> um, we, we, we were kind of expecting that. And so he was actually pretty upset about that. But when the dentist told us he had cavities, we weren't just like, well... This is our reality. I guess your teeth are going to rot out of your head. You'll probably have an abscess tooth or two, and we'll have to get those pulled, and that's just the way it's going to be. No. We, we, we understood the, the situation. However, the dentist said, here is the, the plan. Here is the path. The, it, this is the path we can take. These are the steps we can take to uh, fix these cavities and to help prevent them in the future. And the same is true for our life. When we run into hardship, I believe God offers a path that leads to restoration and healing, despite what you're going through. Gavin, actually, he's got a few appointments ahead of him, but he had one already, and he got, you know, an aluminum crown, and he's so proud of that thing. It's it's like a trophy. First couple weeks, he was walking around, he'd pull his lip back, and he'd go, silver tooth, (laughs) silver tooth. That's just like, that was like his intro for for that week. Uh, Anyways, that's just a side note. (laughs) But there is always a path to take 
when life gives you lemons because we have a choice how we respond. I like to think of it as the game changer moment, the moment of opportunity, uh, a fork in the road, if you will. So for visual aid, I, I, I have this image I want to show you. This is us, us on the path to life. We've got our plans We've got our ideas, we've got our dreams, our ambitions, how we think life should be going. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, life drops a lemon, okay? Now in that moment, we can react, we can enter into uh, panic and fear, and we can kind of make a bigger mess of the situation, or we can just accept that painful reality. Or we could stop, and we could respond and realize there's a choice. There's our way, which which does not lead us out of the, the reality we're in, or there's God's way. Realizing that he has a path. There's our way, the way of the flesh. And then there's his way, his path, the way of the spirit. And the choice for us really could be, be a matter of life and death. You, you know, before Jesus, we were slaves to the flesh. We were under control of the flesh. But the spirit of Christ supplanted the power of the flesh. And now we are subject to the power of the spirit. He, 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 he switched up the game for us. And so I want to show you in Romans chapter 8. Verses 10 through 13, kind of a comparison between the flesh and the spirit and what both will yield in your life. Verse 10 says, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, but to live, to live according to the flesh, Get this part. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The flesh is death and destruction. Our way doesn't get us anywhere. The Spirit is life. It's restoration. It's healing. It's a new and better way. And so I kind of want to show you a comparison, a side-by-side here. We have two paths. These are our options. We have my way, and then we have his way. Uh, In my way, it's all about self-sufficiency. Me operating as if everything is on my ability, my uh, resources, my knowledge, my power. But in his way, it's all about Christ's grace. Christ is sufficient. His grace is sufficient for us. In my way, I try to take control. I try to play God, if you will. I try to think that I'm the one who's capable of fixing my situation. We've all been in that place. But his way, he's already got control. He's not stumped by your situation. He's not thrown off guard by these lemons, which means that he has a way out. He has a way of restoration. So ultimately, the result, what it yields, my way, dysfunction and pain. It's kind of like this ongoing process. I'll just walk around in the desert in the same cycle. But if I choose to go his way, being led and empowered by the Spirit, the result is a journey that leads us to restoration and healing. So I think, I think the choice is clear. What way do we want to go? His way, right? The, the path, when life gives us limits, the path, when I say the path, I'm talking about his path. So as believers, we're not only obligated to live by the Spirit, but we are empowered to live by the Spirit. The same Spirit is the one that empowers us to live by the Spirit. Meaning that His path is not just open or available to us, but that we have help to walk it out. That, that, that's encouraging. So get this though, choosing the path is easy, but walking it out is a process. Choosing the path is, is the first step. Walking it out is where the work is. But thankfully, I believe there's simple key things that we as believers can apply to our life uh, to help sustain us on that path. Uh, you want to know what those are? All right. The first one is prayer. Say that with me. Prayer. 
I want to let you know these points are going to be simple. They're going to be straightforward. For some of you, you may say, well, this isn't revelation, but I think it's important that we have constant reminders of key things that sometimes as believers, either out of pride or just routine, we overlook or we minimize. And I want to remind us that these are key things in walking out the path that he has laid before us. Prayer. Prayer has to be of utmost priority in our life. In the tool belt of a believer, I believe that that has to be one of the first things in our arsenal. We've all probably found ourselves at that place where we have to cry out for help. Even people who don't know God or don't have a relationship with Jesus find themselves at a place where they cry out for help. There's people who don't even know God and they pray because they're at the end of themselves. They know that they can't do anything else to help their situation and they're just crying out for help. It's the same with us. We, we have to be willing to cry out for help. But the sad thing is this. A lot of times we let it become a last resort. We, we, we wait till we've tried everything or we wait till the doctor's tried everything or we wait till, you know, our, our, our financial advisor has given us advice. Or we, we try every other natural means. And then you hear people say, well, I guess all we have left to do is pray. I guess all we can do now is pray. And to that I say, what else were we doing to begin with? Our first response must be prayer. Prayer is not a last resort. Prayer is a first response. Has to be our, our go-to. Uh, when, when people are going through hardship and you're on the outside of it, you see someone you know, a neighbor, a friend, family member, coworker. a lot of times on the outside, it's easier to sit back and think you know what God is up to or think you know what they should be doing or how they should be responding. But when you're in battle, when you're in the middle of a storm, when you're in the heat of it, it's a lot more difficult. All the more reason why from your very first response should be to cry out for help, to ask God for help through prayer. We pray because it connects us to the Father. Okay, I want you all to get that. It, it, prayer, it, it's not prayer that we need. It's not routine, religious, memorized words. It's God that we need. Prayer is the connection. Okay, do you all get that? It's not prayer alone that we need. It's God we need, and prayer is our connection. That's our hotspot. That's our lifeline. That's the thing that keeps us connected to him. Prayer is our lifeline. I shared this story a while back about my kids, and, you know, we'll be on a road trip, or we'll be somewhere which we occupy them sometimes with our iPads. Katie and I will give them our iPads. Now, we have... Um, they're not the cellular models, they're, they're Wi-Fi models, meaning that for them to operate at full function, a lot of the apps and the games and stuff, you have to have a Wi-Fi signal. So if we're not at home or the church or at a restaurant or somewhere, some of the things don't work. And so our kids learned this for the first time on our road trip when we were moving back from Dallas this last spring. And so they quickly got frustrated because some of the things they were used to doing on the iPads weren't working. The device was not operating at full function because its lifeline really is Wi-Fi. We cannot lose our lifeline. We will not operate at full function. We will not have what we need uh, in, in the wake of adversity and in the wake of limits if we let our lifeline get cut. We have to stay to, connected to the Father through prayer. You know, Jesus' dependence on his Father w was evident. If Jesus prayed, how much more should we pray? You, you study his life, you look at his ministry— and he was reliant on his father. He was dependent on his father. And as busy as he got and as, as famous as he got and all the things he had to do, routinely we see that he withdrew from the crowds. He withdrew from his disciples. He withdrew from ministry, from all the noise. And he would retreat to spend time with his father, to talk with his father. He went from place of prayer to place of prayer. If Jesus needed prayer, how much more do we need prayer? 
How much more do we need to be reliant on our Father through the means of prayer? Prayer is our lifeline. Now, something that that our pastor has taught us for years is that our future is paved in prayer. We need to be bathing our, our, our future in prayer. Your worries, your cares, your pursuits, your dreams, your family, your, your career, everything ahead of you, we need to be covering it in prayer. Our future is paved in prayer. So today I'll say it this way, the path is paved in prayer. The, the, the path that many of us are to walk out when life gives us lemons, the, 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 the way out that he has provided for us, that path is paved in prayer. And, and, and if that is the case, we can't afford not to pray. We, can, we can't afford not to pray. This last week, life gave us lemons. And we would not have been able to start this path towards restoration without prayer. Prayer is so vital. As I said, we've felt the prayers of our family. We, we were praying. We will continue to pray. And uh, we are thankful for prayer and the situation with my dad. Prayer is vital in walking the path. The second thing that, that we need is people. We need people in our lives. Uh, and you're, you're like, duh. <laughs> but we need people. We all were designed uh, with an innate desire to love and, and to be loved, to know and to be known. Whether we admit it or not, we were designed to do life with other people. We weren't meant to be alone. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen says, As iron sharpens iron, one man or one woman sharpens another. We're better together. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We don't need to, to retreat. We don't need to um, hide away and, and pull away from doing life with other people. This is the beauty of, of the local church. This is the beauty of having a church community or, or being a part of a small group or, or having a close-knit group of friends and family that, that you uh, are spending your life with. You know, I have, I have people in my life. I have brothers and I have men in my life that I know I can confide in them. I know that I can go to them for help. I know they will encourage me. I know they will hold me accountable. I know that if I'm going through something, they will be there like that. And the same is true on the opposite, that I would do that for them. I, I ask you today, who are those people in your life? Do you have people spurring you on? Do you have people that are encouraging you? Do you have people that when life gives you lemons, you know that they're going to be there to help you walk that path out? It's so important that we have those people. Now, now I'll be honest today, okay? I'm an introvert. Uh, you, you might would think me maybe to be an extrovert. Uh, my dad, he's more of an introvert. I think, I think a lot of leader types actually are probably introverts. But in the context of, of my calling— uh, loving on people, teaching, ministry, church, uh, all the things that I'm called to do, uh, I'm very much an extrovert. But as far as my social calendar, I'm totally fine being by myself. <laughs> I, I, I will find a project to do around the house. I'll read. Uh, I, I'll watch Netflix. I'll go to the movies by myself. I have no problem doing that. A couple weeks ago, I was going to the Gator game by myself uh, till, till a friend approached me and we ended up going together. But I just, I, I have no problem like doing stuff by myself. I'm fine to do so. And if you're an introvert, there, there's nothing wrong with that. There's strengths to being an introvert. There's strengths uh, to being an extrovert. But the danger is when you cross that line to become not an introvert, but a, a hermit. <laughs> do we have any hermits in the house? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> being, a, being a hermit is dangerous because really what, it's beyond just being a hermit. It's, it's about isolation. 
Isolation is dangerous. Isolation is one of the biggest uh, attacks of the enemy because if the enemy can isolate us, then, then, then he can get us all by ourselves. That's where depression thrives. That's where temptation thrives. That's where negativity thrives. That's where we believe the lies of the enemy. And if we have no one around us to help us keep our reality in check and to encourage us and for us to talk to about these things, if we're left to our own devices and we just isolate ourselves, there, there's no good outcome to come from that. We don't grow in isolation. We grow in community. Okay, we, we, are, we are better when we have other people around us. Uh, even going back to creation, going back to the garden. You know, God created the heavens and the earth, and, and he created animals, and he created man. And so there was Adam, and, 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 and it was good. But, but God quickly realized, you know, Adam, he, he's not meant to be alone. Genesis 2.18 says, It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So he made Eve, Right? And this is beyond just man and woman, husband and wife. What I want you to get here is that God created a helper for Adam, meaning that Eve provided strength to him in the same way that he provided strength to her. Not that any role was greater than the other, but that they complemented one another and that there was a a, a sense of completion there. It's the same way with our lives and our relationships. We need helpers. We need people who supply strength to us. We need, uh, there's someone that you probably need to supply strength for. But, but understand this, that who is very crucial. Who your helpers are, who your strength is, that's, that's, that's very vital. I, I'm not telling you to just go find anyone that wants to hang out and that means, you know, you've surrounded yourself with people. I'm talking about good people, especially when you are changing paths or you're getting back on track or you're, you're walking out this path when life gives you lemons. A lot of us, if we're honest, we can look at our life and see where maybe we were stuck in addiction or stronghold or or just a negative life pattern. And you can look and see relationships where there was people who were not helping you. They were not supplying strength. They weren't uh, encouraging you. They were holding you back. They didn't have your best interests in mind. And so when you are making that course correction, when you're walking that path out, it's it's important that you cut those relationships. But it's not good enough just to cut those relationships. You then have to replace them with healthy ones. If not, you'll just drift back where you were and you'll never make any progress. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You've got to have good, godly people in your life. And not only must you be willing to ask for help, but you have to be willing to receive help and even at times be willing to take a step out of your situation. Even if it means you're uncomfortable, even if it means uh, it hurts your pride a bit, you've got to be willing to walk it out. I read this story recently uh, about Hurricane Katrina. You know, that was just over 10 years ago and just a horrible natural disaster. And um, this, this specific story was interviewing these helicopter pilots who their job, their, or, or those early days following that hurricane, their job was to fly over the city. And there's people who their houses are flooded, the streets are flooded, they're, they're in danger, they're in perilous positions. And these helicopter pilots, you, you've seen the footage, they would fly and they would lift these people up out of their situations. Men and women and children and even animals, lift them up and take them to safety. But this particular pilot talks about how frustrated they, they grew as the missions went on. After just a few missions, there were still plenty of people to help and to rescue. But what he found is a lot of them didn't want the help. They didn't want to leave their situation. They wanted food. They wanted resources. But they weren't willing to leave the danger that they were in. I don't know what all their reasons were. I can't imagine what it's like to walk through a, a natural disaster like that. But he describes how frustrating it was because from, from his aerial view, from his perspective, seeing the whole situation, these people were not in good situations. 
They were in danger. This was not sustainable. The environment was toxic, and all he wanted to do was help, but they refused to leave where they were at. So I want to parallel that to your situation. Don't let pride hold you back from taking a step out. Realize that, that maybe you're not seeing the big picture, and maybe you're in a, a very dysfunctional setting, or, or, or there's things around you, and there's someone in your life that God has sent to help you. Don't be afraid to not only receive that help, but take a step. All right? We've got to be willing to take a step. We are better together. We were not meant to do life alone. We are better together, really, it's the slogan of our small groups ministry. And, and it's not just a catchphrase to help market them. Really, that is a, a core belief. That is the undergirding of all community life here at Meadowbrook. We are better together. And in this last week, walking this path out with my family and with my dad, we could not have started this process without people of God, without good people around us who, who, who are here to walk this with us. So when life gives you lemons, you've got to surround yourself with good people. The third and final thing is gratitude. We're in a season of thanks. Really, all life should be a season of thanks, but we're especially mindful of it, having just celebrated Thanksgiving and then approaching the Christmas season where we celebrate the birth of our Savior. But we have to be a grateful people. We have to. Gratitude is not an emotion. Gratitude is a choice. Now, if you'll remember, last month I shared a message called Choose Joy. And I said this very same thing, that joy is not an instinct. Joy is not a, uh, an emotion. It's, it's a response. It's a choice. Because what happens is a lot of times our situations, our circumstances, don't give us any reason to be joyful. They don't give us any reason to be grateful. But if we have healthy perspective, we can still choose to be grateful. We can still choose to have joy and, and realize that God is faithful and that gives us a lot to be grateful for. I, I think we're good at weighing pros and cons. You know, when you're about to take a job or you're trying to decide a career path or something with school or a financial investment or whatever it would be, we weigh pros and cons. We list out the negatives, the positives, what's beneficial, what's not. We need to do the same thing in our situation, realizing that maybe the circumstances I'm immersed in right now um, are, are not positive. It doesn't give me much to be grateful for. But if I step back and I look at the faithfulness of God, I have much to be grateful for. Because when we focus on his faithfulness, suddenly our problems don't seem as big. When you look back and you realize all you've been through and that God has brought you here, that you're alive, that you're breathing, that he's not done with you yet, you have a future. His word says you have a hope. He wants to give us good and not evil. When you realize that, you look at his faithfulness, your current reality, your current problems don't seem as big. Bringing it current with, with, with my dad this week. If I was just sitting there in the hospital saying my dad's arm is shattered, he, he fractured his back, he, he's not going to be able to do his normal activities for, for a while, he's not going to be able to preach for six weeks or so. When I look at that, that right there doesn't give me anything to be grateful for. But when I step back and I look at the big picture, I realize I have a lot to be grateful for. When I replay that situation in my mind, he could have fallen on his head and suffered brain damage. He could be in a coma. He could have snapped his neck and, and be paralyzed. He could never walk again. He could have died. There's so many other outcomes that could have played out. And so when I look at it and realize, okay, th these are the lemons we were dealt. But you know what? I have so much to be grateful for. I have my dad. You have your pastor. He's already walking. He's already home. It's all about perspective. Look at the faithfulness of God and your problems don't seem so big. Gratitude is not an emotion. It's a choice. Gratitude is the antidote. I believe whatever you're facing, fear, worry, lack, pride, selfishness, 
Look at what you have to be grateful for, and suddenly those things, things don't seem so big. You can't walk out the path to restoration without being a grateful people. Amen? In conclusion, I, I want to say this. No one said choosing the path would be easy. <laughs> no one said it would be easy. Uh, a lot of times picking up the pieces and walking out uh, the restoration that awaits is, is actually pretty hard. And, and sometimes it's, it, it, actually often it takes way more to go through something victoriously than to be delivered from it. I think if we had our choice, we would vote to be uh, delivered from our, our circumstances. Kind of like a crane machine just picked up and dropped somewhere else. I'm not saying God doesn't work miracles, but a lot of times the way it looks in the natural is that we have to buck up. We have to exercise our faith. We have to walk through something. And when we remain steadfast, when we remain strong, when we know who our source is, when we're praying and surround ourselves with good people and we're grateful, we will get through that. And on the other side, we will be more grateful, more aware, more strong and full of faith than we've ever been. And that's an incredible place to be. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. It doesn't say blessed is the man who is, is miraculously uh, delivered from that. Now, granted, I, God works miracles. Stuff happens. But it says, the, He who remains steadfast under trial is blessed. Okay? So blessed is not referring to material possessions. Blessed is not re- referring to uh, perfect circumstances. Blessed describes an attitude that is unaffected by external circumstances. Okay, that, that's what it means to be blessed. Despite what's going on around me, I'm unaffected by that because I know who my source is. That is the man who's blessed. That he can walk through that trial because he knows who his God is and he knows where his help comes from. I want to leave you with this last passage of Scripture because I believe it hits each one of these points that we need for help on the path. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 15 through 18. says, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Do good to one another and everyone. What does that sound like? People. All right? It goes on in, in verse 16 and 17. It says, Rejoice always and pray without ceasing. There it is. Prayer. We've got to be a people of prayer. Verse 18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances. Be a grateful people in every situation. And then lastly, it says this. You do those things. This is the will of God and Christ Jesus for you. So, When I look at that, I realize there is no better place to be than on the path. Because if we are on the path and we are a people of prayer, we are surrounding ourselves with good people, we are are approaching everything with a, a spirit of gratitude, that puts a smack in the middle of his will. Not only is his path available to us, but we have help to walk it out. When life gives you lemons, walk the path. Amen. Did y'all get anything out of this today? Thanks for listening to this week's message from Meadowbrook Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at NBC Ocala.